Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorha and welcome to IMDb's Movies That Changed My Life, a podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. This week's guest is actor and podcast host Jason Manzukis. You can hear Jason as one of the co-hosts on the How Did This Get Made podcast, and you'll soon be able to catch him as Lyle on the upcoming animated show Housebroken, which premieres on Fox on May 31st. Jason and I talk about the conversation that sparked the creation of How Did This Get Made, how his opinions on movies changed as he got older, and the movies that changed his life. If you're enjoying the show and haven't given us a review yet, please do and join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Movies That Changed My Life. Thanks again for listening. Here's Movies That Changed My Life with Jason Manzukis. Jason Manzukis, thank you so much for joining me today on Movies That Changed My Life. I'm a huge fan of How Did This Get Made and a bunch of your other work. How are you doing today? I'm glad I'm to have good. you on the podcast. Thank you yeah. so much for having me, Ian. Um, I've enjoyed listening in preparation for this to a bunch of your previous episodes with some of my uh, good friends like Ed Helms and, and Griffin yeah. Newman and Scott Ackerman. You've done some great things. And, and it was it was great to kind of go through because when I initially made my list, I then looked at your catalog and was like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, <laughs> Ackerman already talked about Back to the Future. Like yeah. people had already like spoken to like holy grail was on my list and then i was like oh but then i can do life of brian and instead and, and helms did helms. life of brian so i was like oh f- okay so and it made me but i was also like it made me really excited to listen to those episodes which was great yeah well that thank you for listening yeah it's been a ton of fun doing the show so far i mean i find it often like inspiring like hearing you know celebrities that i love actors directors writers all sorts of stuff get to talk about things that inspire them because i know it inspires me on various you know levels i'm not a filmmaker but in terms of being creative and all that sort of stuff so getting to talk to people i look up to and enjoy their content it's just really fun to have these i agree i'm always you know i love when people i'm a fan of are vocal fans of other things right. you know like it may it i always chase those things down you know, yeah. because I'm like, if I like that person and, you know, there I remember there was a band called Heavy Vegetable that I was into in high school <laughs> and not in game. college, rather in college. And they had a whole song that was just referencing like the 
experimental and like underground bands that they loved. So it was mm. just like a litany of band names were the lyrics of the song. <laughs> and I remember being like, I have to go and find all of these bands. I have to go find out who is Ronaldo and the Loaf. Like that's a band. <laughs> like it was and finding so much cool stuff just because I was into the one band, they then in one song opened me up to like 10 other bands. It was really cool. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the fun of getting to add to people's like watch lists and things like that. I mean, I've got to watch a bunch of movies I had never watched before. Right. But before we talk about your movies, let's chat a little bit about your podcast. How did this get made? It's one of my all-time favorite podcasts. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks, um, man. So, so talk to me about it. Um, what, what's it about for those who haven't listened and sure. been blessed to hear it? Yeah. So How Did This Get Made is a podcast that I've been doing uh, with Paul Shear and June Diane Raphael. Uh, and then we usually have a guest come on as well. Uh, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Um, sometimes we do studio episodes, sometimes live episodes, but the, the kind of idea of the show is we have watched a, a bad movie, you know, some <laughs> version of a bad movie, whether it is, you know, the room type of a bad movie, whether it is the fast and furious movies, the green lantern movie that came out a few years ago, you know, cats that came out last year or, you know, like old, you know, um, you know, the January man, a weird, you know, you know, Kevin Klein, Susan Sarandon, Harvey Keitel movie from the 90s. Like all this, all the movies that kind of are unsuccessful, the kind of idea is we've watched this movie and now it's the conversation that you have at the bar with your friends after you've just walked out of a movie that you're scratching your head at being like, and then wait a minute. Why did they all then get in that car and why did they drive to it? Like that didn't, they didn't need to do any of that. Like they, when you just start to like pick apart why a movie doesn't work or trying to figure out like what was, what was so fun about why that wasn't working? Because it's like, you know, I think our show, there's a lot, there's a bunch of other shows that kind of tackle similar ground. And I think ours is really three friends, oftentimes four friends with a guest, really just like, Hanging out and having a fun conversation celebrating whatever movie atrocity we've just watched. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, talking uh, the way you describe it, like speaking at a bar or talking about a movie at a bar after the movie is like the perfect way to do it. Like, whenever I, if I haven't seen a movie that you guys do and I like want to watch it, when I like find myself when you're talking about it, those are the exact same thoughts in my head. And it's just oh, yeah. super casual. Yeah, I mean, it's great. One of my one of my favorite movies ever. Period is Face Off. Uh, and uh, when I discovered when I discovered your live episode, I was like, oh my god, like this is exactly how I feel about this movie. So even for like quote unquote bad movies that are amazing, it's just super fun to listen well, to. Well, there's because something you realize... really great about, especially when we're in front of an audience too. Like, because we, you know, I'll take notes while I'm watching the movie because I'm I'll be right. like, oh, remember to talk about this, or like I'll just my notes. Meanwhile, are just like. A, a random list of weird words and prompts that are meant to like <laughs> remind me I wanted to talk about how bizarre the kissing was or whatever. So it'll just be like kissing question mark. Um, but I'll start to say something like about like, oh, OK, so in the scene where and then I'll start describing exactly what freaked me out. And then there'll be such an eruption from the audience for all the other people who are like, yes, I saw that too. Or yes, that stuck out to me as well. Like ours is the kind of podcast that our audience feels oftentimes like they are the other person in the group sitting, talking. Right. Something that had the way you described like these bad movies and tropes. Uh, it reminds me of a movie that you uh, co-star in. 
one of my favorite movies of all time, one of the most underrated comedies of all time uh, that really grasps on to other like rom-coms and things that don't work with them is They Came Together. Oh, I sure. Think, I think that is a perfect 10 out of 10 movie. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I, it's comfort food. I throw it on all the time. Acting and working on a film like that and obviously like with Wayne and like the Stella guys and all that sort of stuff, did that factor into that just like on a personal level? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it really was. They, you know, uh, David Wayne and Michael Showalter had written the script for They Came Together. Doing it was a blast because really <laughs> it's a bunch of very smart film people kind of sending up all of the tropes of these films. So, right. and it's, you know, it's Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd. The cast is like, you know, Insane. a murderer's row of, <laughs> yeah. of like Michael Shannon comes in there. Like, <laughs> yeah. like it, Melanie Linsky's a stone cold genius. Like everybody is just incredible. Um, and it was a blast. So yeah, really fun. And it's a great movie. And I'm so glad you brought it up because it's one of those movies that I feel like I wish got more attention yeah. and got more traction, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I'm a Stella diehard and student of them, and, and they came together as just perfection on so many levels. And, like, all my favorite comedians are all in it, you know? They wrote it right after Wet Hot and then sat on it for, like, 10 years. And so, <laughs> like, ten, 12 years, some I don't know, 12 years later, they made the movie, which was, right. like, for the lifespan of a movie, like, to have that, kind of long a life is kind of amazing and i love yeah. that people are still finding it and watching it and it's so funny that yeah. movie is like <laughs> pound for pound just like a joke machine yeah it's incredible um so thank you for indulging me on that i, I knew when we booked you i had to talk about that oh movie, happily so I, I appreciate that now what uh, are so your other two movies ian that you brought to talk about what what else thank you so much for joining me um on movies that changed your life <laughs> so your first movie was they came together what's your next movie uh, funny you say that because the episode that came out last week featured Lizzie, our producer, interviewing me, uh, and I decided to talk about The Shining, Wayne's World, and Star Wars: A New Hope. Oh, so those were I almost and Wayne. Yeah, I almost did Star Wars. I made a huge <laughs> list of all the movies I could talk about. Right, my list was so big because I, I was like, you know, I grew up in a very like sheltered New England town, very small town, like. I feel like I really grew up with movies and that was, you know, I grew up, you know, I'm 48. So I grew up pre um, cable TV and mm -hmm. pre VCR. So I don't get like at home movies until like my teen years, at which point it's like something incredible happens. You know, once, once I, we have a VCR and there is a store where you can just go and get movies for the weekend. It was a literal <laughs> game changer. Well, let's talk about some of these game-changing uh, movies that changed your life. We'll go in chronological order, starting with the first one, which is Harold and Maude from 1971. Yeah. 7.9 out of 10 with 72,000 ratings on IMDb, directed by the iconic Hal Ashby. Incredible. Written by Colin Higgins. Incredible. Uh, starring Ruth Gordon and Bud Court as the uh, namesake Harold and Maude. The synopsis, according to IMDb, is young, rich, and obsessed with death Harold finds himself changed forever when he meets lively 80-year-old Maude at a funeral. So talk to me. When was the first time you watched Harold and Maude? This is like a... So I, so the way that I was able to whittle down my choices and my list was to really kind of ask myself, what, what, what movies actually did make a marked change in my life? What, mm -hmm. what movies felt like aha moments for some reason or another? 
So Harold and Maude is really, for me, a kind of er text movie because I'm going to say I'm maybe 13 years old. At some point when I'm young, but old enough that my parents leave the house and leave me alone, right? Right. It was a night where I was babysitting for my sister, and but she had gone to bed, and I we didn't have cable or anything like that. And I only was able to watch, you know, like the nine channels that we had. And I tuned into a movie like that had already started. And Harold and Maude to me is really a you can do that kind of movie. You know, like for me as a kid watching this movie that was simultaneously a coming of age story but also like an incredibly dark comedy, mm-hmm. but then also like this deep melancholy love story. The fact that there was a movie that was doing all of these things, I couldn't handle how incredible I felt watching this movie, but I had no idea what it was. I had no idea what was going on. I had missed the beginning. And so I watched, <laughs> I watched the rest of it. And then when my parents came home, I started to frantically described to them the movie that I had been watching (laughs) and trying to explain like, and then this happened and then he lights himself on fire and the mom doesn't care. And then, but then he meets this older woman and then, then they fall in love. And, and it's like, I'm trying to explain. And, uh, Cat Stevens songs are used throughout Harold and Maude to incredible effect. And, um, and my dad was like, Oh, I think that's a movie called Harold and Maude. And so the next time we went to the video store, I rented it and watched the whole movie. And then it became my favorite movie, you know, like truly like a hundred percent. It became a movie I was obsessed with. I couldn't believe a movie could be so sad and so, so such a love story and, and a frustrated coming of age story, but also be so funny. Like the, all of the suicides, all of the um, all of the hijinks that Ruth Gordon as Maude kind of kind of takes Harold into under her wing and like takes him on all these adventures, stealing cars and and just causing trouble and digging up trees. And like it just felt like, ooh, like also when you're a kid and you see adults and adults encouraging misbehavior and right. uh, encouraging kind of. It, you know, like for me, Harold and Maude had that kind of like embrace life kind of vibe that I feel like people then later were like seized onto uh, Carpe Diem in uh, Dead Poet Society. Right. Right. But to right. me, it, Harold, like Maude represents that like you have to live your life. You have to engage in that. Do you remember when you started to understand the multiple layers like on like an emotional level versus sort of trying to process it, like how many years later it all like kind of came together for you? You know, I'm I'm probably going to like, pr- not until like really high school and college. It, it really yeah. was a movie that I would rewatch often uh, with people. It was like, it was the movie I would choose to like turn people on to a movie they'd never heard of, you know? Right. It would be always, cause it always, it almost always was successful. People re- usually had not heard of it. Um, and so it would be a movie I would watch a lot and then would prompt a lot of conversation, you know. And so I think a lot of those like high school, college conversations post watching Harold and Maude, you know, um, were were about figuring out like, why? How does this? Why does this work? Right. Like, why doesn't like the none of these competing kind of none of the jokes 
take away from the like the sadness. Right. None of the sadness steps on the jokes. You know, right. the the kind of generational disconnect is actually an incredibly heartwarming connection mm-hmm. um, between this teenage boy and this 80 year old woman. It is there is so much going on, but that it took me, I think, a very long time to really unpack everything that's going on in this movie. And at which point, you know, or by which point Hal Ashby had become like one of my favorite directors. Sure. Right. Simply because in that way, I was like, oh, well, this guy's only made a couple of other movies. It's such complex storytelling, but it's so accessible to mm-hmm. eat from it was accessible to me at 13 as it was to me watching it right now. It's it's like its themes are so wonderful and so rich and there's so much going on. And it's such a wonderful movie. It really, to me, never feels dated. It never right. feels it feels like it's an incredible trick that I feel like Hal Ashby did, which is to make a movie that is very much of its time, but feels to me timeless. I mean, do you find yourself as a comedian pulling little things from like Harold and Maud or or like whether it's timing or sort of jokes like that? It's you know what it is? It's more this. It's that all of the jokes in Harold and Maud are jokes that help illustrate and expand character. They're really funny. But they're also like helping illuminate more of these characters. And so the jokes work because you're invested in the people and the mm-hmm. characters and the narrative. Like Harold and Maud's, like the situational comedy is what works because you understand the point of view so clearly. The jokes, you know, are just continue throughout the movie to heighten and heighten mm-hmm. and heighten um, <laughs> without ever breaking reality, even though at times they are patently absurd. Right. Harold lighting himself on fire uh, right. or seeming to uh, light himself <laughs> right. on fire, uh, uh, you know, from, you know, from hanging himself to lighting himself on fire. Uh, you know, all of these kind of performative suicides that he's trying to elicit a reaction from his kind of very cold mother and then as you see him change as he starts to hang out with Maud and understand her life and her life is not about performing death but it's about living life mm-hmm. um and that that has such a profound effect on him uh, right. to make him no longer obsessed with death you know the idea that he spends the whole movie driving a hearse and then <laughs> at the end of the movie after Maud's death spoiler alert he right. drives he lets the hearse go with that you iconic know? freeze frame moment. Like, even if you haven't seen Harold and Mon, you've you've seen that freeze frame of, of the car going over the cliff. It's great. So last question here. Did you relate more with Harold and Maud when you first watched it? And how do you think now your relation is with the with the main characters? Um <clears throat> I just I so related to Harold um as a kid. You know, because Harold, when we meet him, is very lonely, very on his own, doesn't seem to have friends, doesn't seem to have a support system in place. He's very wealthy. Um, he lives with a very kind of cold, detached mother. Um, and while not all of those things certainly are, did I, I didn't live under similar circumstances or, or anything like that. I very much identified with the loneliness of being a teenager. You know, like that felt very, very palpable and very real to me. And so the idea of, being rescued from my melancholy by this kind of incredibly vivacious, incredibly like never mind that she's 80 years old, but this 
this this this this force of nature uh positive positivity was incredibly compelling to me now as i get older you know like i start to see more and more through the eyes of ruth gordon than i do through harold certainly you know harold now seems to me to be concerned with the issues of being a young you know teenager and now at 48 I have a lot more on my mind in terms of <laughs> how can I spend the rest of my life like Maud? Like I want to live, I want to be living Maud's life. You know, how lucky was Harold to to meet a Maud at that young age and to have that course correction to mm-hmm. to 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 step out of the modeling kind of um, you know misery that he seemed to be in and find a way towards the light and towards like. A, 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 a enjoying and finding the joy in life. And that seems to be to, to me to be something very, especially I'll say in the last year, uh, right. something that we all should be cognizant of, you know, that mm-hmm. I'm, but I'm also like, I'm very bad at it. You know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm still like a predominantly kind of lonely, melancholy person. And this year has only proven more so as I've spent like the last 14 months alone in my house, just watching <laughs> movies. So, um, so yeah, no, it, it, my, my relationship to the movie has changed, but it's, I'm still very much, I still feel very comfortable inside of it. Right. That was Harold and Maude. Great, great first pick. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs. A gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Let's go on to your second pick, which is 1998's classic, The Big Lebowski. This is an 8.1 out of 10 with 743,000 ratings on IMDb, written and directed by the Coen brothers, starring Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Julianne Moore, Steve Buscemi, Philip Seabor Hoffman, and David Huddleston, and Tara Reid. Got to throw her in there as well. Um, The synopsis is Jeff, the dude Lebowski, mistaken for a millionaire of the same name, seeks restitution for his ruined rug and enlists his bowling buddies to help get it. So talk to me about The Big Lebowski. When was the first time you watched this? So I I watched it when it came out. I was a huge Coen Brothers fan. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if like Harold and Maude falls under the category of you can do that, feeling like, you know, it changed my life because I felt like it was the first movie that I really felt like I didn't know you could do this. I didn't know this was possible. Um, the Lebow- Lebowski is changed my life because I got it wrong. It's like a movie that I, I was ro- that I really had to be like, oh, I was wrong. I was like a huge Coen's fan uh, in, you know, 
I saw all their movies, you know, and I was obsessed. I was obsessed with, you know, so Raising Arizona, I was obsessed with. And then uh, Barton Fink and Miller's Crossing. Miller's Crossing was like the poster. I feel like for me, you know, it was all about like the poster that you put on your college dorm room wall (laughs) is you're telling the world this is who I think I am. I I identify with this movie. This movie (laughs) speaks for me. Right. And the movie on my wall was Miller's Crossing. I was mm. obsessed with it. And then Hudsucker, you know, I was okay with. And then Fargo. And then Lebowski comes out, and I go and see it, and I'm like, this is the first bad Coen Brothers movie. Mm. This is, I didn't like it. It felt, mm. I don't know. I don't know what. I, I think it was a matter of expectations. I was expecting something that I just didn't get. It felt to me slight or... You know, uh, it just it felt like a like kind of a shambling kind of I, I wasn't sure. I, it just didn't add up to me. Right. Mm-hmm. I I, li- I liked it fine. But I really I, fe- I remember feeling like disappointed that there had been a Coen Brothers movie that I hadn't enjoyed and that it just felt kind of it was a bummer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, And then I don't know, maybe two years later. Um, hanging out with someone and them talking very passionately about it and me being like, really? I don't, I, I don't, I don't think I don't, and whatever, blah, 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 going back and forth and then renting it and watching it again and being like, oh, wait a minute. I was <laughs> 1 million percent wrong. This movie is amazing. And then subsequently, like I watch Lebowski probably three or four times a year. Right. Just It is my kind of put it on vibe you know like i just always want to be watching and living inside that world and for me it really was i think a movie that like taught me my expectations or what i'm bringing to a movie are not helpful i need to engage in a movie on on the terms that the filmmakers have set out to 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 make this movie not what do I expect or what do I want out of this? What, what I, you know, like you hear, I hear this a lot when people are like, you know, I didn't like that movie because I wanted it to be blankety blank. Right. And instead right. they did this other thing. And I was like, well, it's a, who they, they, who cares what you wanted? <laughs> but it was really interesting. It was like such an important lesson to me. And then really led to me like reconsidering other movies. What was the thing that flipped in your head for Lebowski? The thing that flipped for Lebowski for me was pace. Like, um, there's something about Lebowski's, like, Lebowski is a hangout movie. And what's fun about it is hanging out with the characters on this kind of shambling adventure that they're on. (laughs) And I had something else in my mind. Previous to this, Coen Brothers movies had felt very, um, uh, they, they had felt very kind of sharp. Mm-hmm. You know, very sharp and very right. kind of like, uh, you know, like, again, the Coens are very good at at blending styles. Very funny, uh, like a, a scene of incredible tension and incredible kind of anxiety and tension ending in something deeply funny. Yeah. True explorations of like um, reprehensible actions committed by usually uh, well-meaning doofuses. <laughs> <laughs> who then get themselves into trouble to a degree that is like like shattering to their lives, you right. know? Um, and Lebowski just kind of wasn't that. 
the dude, unlike a lot of the protagonists in uh, Lebowski, uh, in Cohen's movies, the dude is like, he doesn't, he's a passive participant, yeah. you know, in many ways. He really does not want the events of the movie to be <laughs> happening to him, you know? So yeah. to, to follow him on that journey, like, it really took me having to adjust my point of view to be like, oh, no, I have to go, I have to willfully go on the ride with him, not be like, well, no, why don't you just do this? Why don't, because, <laughs> I, you know, I was trying to, I was trying to force uh, proactive action onto the character whose <laughs> entire point of view is passivity, you right. know? And right. He's a pacifist. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, and so it was really interesting. Like, in a way, I almost, I think it probably when I saw it, I would have wished the movie was about Walter, you know? And, right. and it really took me a minute to be like, no, no, no. The dude is what this is. You know, right. like, that's why this is exceptional. Right. And, and, th and that's why it works and still stands as one of, you know, people's favorite cult. I mean, you can't even really call it a cult classic at this point just because it's so well loved. But it's incredible. Um, it's an incredible movie, it, 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 especially for a movie that kind of is trading in so many of the tropes that we love from, you know, detective noirs to, right. you know, you know, like because Lebowski is essentially a riff on, you know, the L.A. noir, right. Sam Spade, you know, the Dashiell Hammett books, all that stuff that the Coens loved, but put into this kind of stoner. Right. You know, it's a step beyond the long goodbye. I think what I love about Lebowski is that it is this detective story that obeys kind of like the detective rules of noir storytelling. But mm -hmm. it also has so many components of another of other stuff that I love, like uh, screwball comedy. You know, the Coens are pulling from like noir. They're pulling from, you know, Preston Sturgis movies. They're pulling from all of these things that I already liked. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it took me a while to realize they're so good. It took me a while. Stoner comedies, you know, they're pulling, they're pulling from Cheech and Chong. They're pulling right. from stuff. So much is going on in the Big Lebowski tropes from other genres that I already loved, but that I hadn't even clocked or noticed or really even appreciated in Lebowski when I saw it first. And then it took me a while to really kind of see the Cohen's genius inside of their writing characters are constantly using dialogue that other characters have already spoken right. and are just reusing it throughout the movie. And that didn't occur to me until eight years ago when I saw the live read, I was like, Holy sh this is incredible. Another movie that just keeps on giving, uh, keeps revealing giving. itself, yeah. you know, like, like Harold and Maude. These are uh, to me, these are timeless movies, right? You know, completely agree. That was the big Lebowski. Let's move on to your last pick which uh, if you're fans of How Did This Get Made, you may know why this is on here, but this is Wall Street Money Never Sleeps from 2010. It has a 6.2 out of 10 with 99,000 ratings on IMDb. Directed by Oliver Stone, written by Alan Loeb, Stephen Schiff, and Stanley Weiser. Starring Shia LaBeouf, Michael Douglas, Carey Mulligan, and Josh Brolin. The synopsis is, now out of prison but still disgraced by his peers, Gordon Gecko works as future son-in-law and idealistic stockbroker when he sees an opportunity to take down a Wall Street enemy and rebuild his empire. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, I, like I said, I made a big list. Other movies on the list, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, mm -hmm. um, uh, His Girl Friday, um, Friends of Eddie Coyle, Rear Window, uh, twin, the Twin Peaks pilot, which is 90 minutes long and is a movie. Yeah, incredible. I, I would argue. Yeah. 
Yes. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Back to the Future, the uh, Star Wars and Raiders. I said these are all movies that like genuinely I could sit here and talk to you for hours about. Yeah. Um, Wall Street to money or Wall Street money never sleeps. I chose <laughs> because it was the catalyst that started. Uh, how did this get made? Mm-hmm. So it's 2010. I'm in L.A. I, I, I don't live here yet, but I'm here for a, a, a stay. And a bunch of friends, uh, we all are at um, a friend's house for like a house party. And it turns out a bunch of us have seen, have just seen this movie. It, mm-hmm. it just came out and a bunch of us have just seen it. And for like, I'm going to say two hours, you know, six people sat at a table in our friend's house. Six of like, who, like arguably some of the funniest people uh, that you would know that, but we were all like struggling, you know, up and coming sure, comedians right, at the time. right. But everybody hilarious, and we we just sat and talked about that movie and how absurd it was and why <laughs> they made the choices they made and just reveling in what an absolute, like, crazy, like, fever dream it was to watch that movie. Um, and previous to this, I mean, like, weeks previous to this, uh, Paul Shear and I had been talking about what was then a very new um, thing, which was podcasts. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Scott Ackerman had just the year before started Comedy Bang Bang. Mark Marin had, I think, the year before started WTF. Mm-hmm. So there was, you know, there was some things already happening, but podcasts were still very new. Like, it was in its, like, really kind of its, its nascent form. And he and I had been talking about, what do you think about podcasts, this, that, and the other, would you do one? What would it, you know, we were just kind of having like this general conversation. And then uh, he and I uh, were walking out of that party. He was one of the people, uh, he and June were two of the people we'd been talking about um, Wall Street money never sleeps with. And as we were walking out, I said to him, that's, that's a podcast. You know, it's the, the podcast is you and your friends talking about you know, you and your funny friends talking about the the bad movie you just saw. I was like, that's that's how it works. Like, if we had recorded what we just did, like, people would love that because right. it was, I loved it. It was hilarious. We just had a blast. And then, and that was it. And then a couple of months later, Paul emailed me and said, hey, remember that thing you said? Like, we should do that. It took us a while still after that to to actually get it together and put it together and, and get it out. But but that really was like that movie really and that conversation at our friend's house really jump started like a conversation that that really kind of solidified pretty quickly into what is now a show we've been doing for 10 years where we kind of dig into movies and, right. and talk about movies. And, you know, for, you know, the idea that we've been doing it for 10 years is crazy. But <laughs> uh, but, you know, you cannot watch that movie without really needing to unpack it with somebody because it's straight bananas. You know, like you really, you really are watching like what feels to me like an Oliver Stone, like fever nightmare, you know, like, like, like I feel like if Oliver Stone was like, uh, I went into a, uh, you know, a house in Hawaii for three days and I came out with this script, I would believe it. You know what I mean? Like, it seems <laughs> preposterous. He was like, he was like rage writing his feelings yes. about the economic collapse and just yes. like put it all on, on, on the page. I mean, I knew that you had done this and it was, I was assuming this is why you picked this, but something that's fun about 
your podcast and when I watched this under the scope knowing that it was going to be in this context like there's something so fun about finding the beauty in like the absurdity of Wall Street Money Never Sleeps and oh. like other movies you talk about how would you des describe that okay so we talk a lot about there are movies that are just bad mm -hmm. right they are unsuccessful and are joylessly so you know like <laughs> it's not fun to watch a movie that is structurally unsound to the to the point where it's confusing like right. avatar the last airbender <laughs> the m night Shyamalan at live action right uh uh movie uh avatar the last airbender the animated series incredible Fantastic. like right. absolutely incredible legend of korra incredible um that movie though is absolutely unwatchable um <laughs> and and for us has really been a mile marker of like okay we can't do something that is so leaden that it is it's not fun to talk about. Mm -hmm. Like people have to be making choices. What's like the initial thread? Like when you think about Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, what is the initial thread that you pull um, from, from your perspective that gets your sort of mind rolling on it? You know, that's a tough one because that is, I will say that is one I have not rewatched recently. <laughs> but I remember being like, what? I remember that and um, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and really being like, what is Shia LaBeouf doing? <laughs> like, what's happening? You know, like, what's going on? I need to understand. These are wild choices. He's you know? riding motorcycles in both of them. That's, yeah, that's yeah <laughs> exactly. He's like, my thing is motorcycles. <laughs> oh, man. Um, um yeah, I feel bad. I don't. I don't. Ha I. I. I don't have a lot of like really good money. Never sleep specifics to pull from. Um, to be like this, but the movie in total is absolute bad crazy. Yeah, and I mean, and the and the point is, it, it is a movie that changed your life, which is the point of this podcast. And that's why I chose. It, it absolutely it, you know? did. I mean, it, it created this podcast that is constantly charting on Apple Podcasts. I mean. You, you talked about Marin and uh, Scott Ackerman. I would absolutely put How Did This Get Made like in the rank of like the start of podcasting and obviously movie and like culture podcasts. So, yeah, um, no, and there's, there's, there's some others place. out there that are that are great as well. But, you know, yeah, the fact that we've been doing it now for 10 years and that, you know, in normal times we get to tour all over the country right. and play to big crowds. And yeah. it's one of the elements of my career that I have genuinely been shocked by. Right. I felt like it was akin to doing a show at UCB. Like it was, it felt like another way to just do a show, you know, for some people. It didn't occur to me that like millions of people would listen, which is now what we, 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 millions of people listen to these episodes. Right. When we do a live, we've been doing live streams during the quarantine. They'll send us a, a breakdown of like, hey, there was, you know, 77 people watching in the Philippines. There was yeah, yeah. 200 and some odd people watching in New Zealand or whatever. You know, like, I'm always blown away that, like, wait a second. And then you do the math and you're like, those people had to get up at, like, four in the morning <laughs> to, watch. to watch this. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it's amazing stuff. I mean, you said you could talk about these movies for hours. I wish we could, but... Ah, uh, Ian, I know. why are you cutting me short? I, 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 I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, no, but no. I really, I wish, I wish, you know, there's so many other movies here that are so wonderful and so great and so many. It also was like a really fun exercise to be like, oh, like, like there are similarities amongst a lot of these, these directors that I gravitate towards 
these styles of films that I gravitate towards. It was really interesting to almost no comedies. And yeah, oh, like, that is very interesting. Right. Almost like pretty much zero like straight comedy. It might have comedic elements to it, you know, like Harold and Maude does. But like most of the movies that are on here are like sad or intense. <laughs> and that's the fun of it. It's not your favorite movies. It's movies that change your life. And it, and it's yeah. funny that that you bring up sort of you're kind of looking at the list. I mean, there, our traditional last question here is you've selected Harold and Maude, The Big Lebowski, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps. Do you see a through line between these three movies um, as, as to why you want to talk about them today? Hmm. I don't necessarily, other than that they changed my life, obviously, you know, <laughs> right. which is which is why I, you know, I tried to choose the ones that I could demonstrably talk about how they changed my life. I could talk about them how demonstrably how they changed my life, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think, like, especially for Harold and Maude and Lebowski, I think what what is less so money never sleeps. Uh, uh, <laughs> let, let's let's put that off to the side for now. But I think like let's say for Harold and Maude and Lebowski, and if I were to like pull some of these other movies in, mm-hmm. you know, like Ferris Bueller or stuff like that, it's that you know like these are movies that are really character studies. These are not like plot centric movies. Mm-hmm. These are not movies that are about these or these these are not like joke centric movies. These are not like. I didn't pick movies that felt like um, I love this story. It really was the like that. I find like the things that are on my list are are the movies that have characters that the stories or that the jokes or that the things that I'm looking for are helping to illuminate, illustrate and bridge connections between the characters. And that's really all I care about. I think at the end of the day when I'm watching stuff is Am I invested in learning from or engaged by the characters? And those are the things that I'm interested in and find that I try and do in the things that I write. And mm-hmm. also I try and be in the roles that I inhabit. You yeah. know, like I want my characters to feel as interesting to viewers and as capable of surprising the viewer or letting the viewer discover a new component or element. Like, I, I want that. I want to be, you know, unpredictable. And that's what I feel like these movies are. These movies are making making moves and making choices that are surprising. Um, and that's, to me, what's really interesting. Well, perfect. Uh, well, Jason, thank you so much. I mean, I really enjoyed talking to you about all these. Uh, people can listen to... Uh, how did this get made? What what days do those come out? And and, and what's the best way? It comes out. I think those? every Friday it comes out. I, I I think it technically comes out late night Thursday. Two episodes a month are episodes where we talk about movies, and the other two episodes are mini episodes where mm-hmm. usually Paul will just kind of tell you what next week's movie is, and he'll update you on the stuff that the the stuff we've usually messed up, and he, <laughs> you know he answers viewer mail and questions, yeah. and sometimes I go out there, I go on with him, and we talk about what we've been watching and reading, and we talk about like our media diet type stuff. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, every Friday, new episodes of How Did This Get Made, and every once in a while we do we've been doing live streams during the quarantine, but also now that hopefully things will start opening up again, look for us coming hopefully to a city near you. The live shows are a blast. So come out and see a show. Jason, thank you so much. This is a ton of fun. Hopefully I can catch you when you guys go on tour again in person uh, once things are opened up. But thanks for hanging out. I'd love for you to come and see it. Thanks so much, Ian. 
Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to head over to imdb.com slash podcasts for more content on Jason and to easily add the movies that changed his life to your IMDb watch list.